Well, if you've been around here for a while, you've probably heard me say something like this. God loves you just the way that you are, but he loves you way too much to leave you that way. And that God is is continually uh, at work in our lives to make us more and more like he is more and more uh, the man or the woman that he has created us to be. And the fact that he he loved us and rescued us in the first place, that he's continuing a work in us, is evidence of his love, his grace toward us along the way. Uh, Another way of thinking about that is that, that God seeks to develop and display the character of Christ through the followers of Christ. That, that is what God is up to in my life and yours. If we are a follower of Christ, he is seeking to develop and display the character of Christ through us. We talk here about making disciples or fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And we, as we've wrestled with that through the years, we say, what, what would that kind of look like in the end? And, and kind of three phrases describe that. The first is someone who lives like Jesus lived loves like Jesus loved, and leaves behind what Jesus left behind. When it comes to that first statement, lives like Jesus lives, when we're talking about that, we usually have in parentheses character and conduct. That's what it means to live like Jesus lived, that our character and our conduct more and more reflect the character and the conduct of Jesus Christ. When you think about the character of Christ, perhaps there's no better place to begin understanding what that looks like than to look at the fruit of the Spirit. Paul lists nine character qualities for us, describing them as fruit of the Spirit, the the fruit that the Spirit develops and displays through our life. The words may be familiar to many of you this morning, Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. These are our nine characteristics that, that, that we know that, that God is seeking to display and develop in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. And so as we, when we jump into this series on the fruit of the Spirit, we're really talking about developing spiritual character. And we're going to be looking over the course of this series at those nine characteristics. And as we do, uh, we'll have some interruptions along the way with some special events and special focuses in May. We'll work our way through these nine characteristics. But before we jump into the first one this morning, I want to make sure that we, we kind of have some important distinctions because sometimes some, some terminologies and understandings get blurred. And it has to do with the, the, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in our life. Uh, the, the first of all, first thing that we experience is what we'll call the gift of the Spirit. The gift of the Spirit has to do with salvation. Salvation. Paul described it this way in writing to the Ephesians. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed. You were sealed with the promised 
Holy Spirit. That if I am in Jesus Christ, that I have exercised, as we talked about last week on Easter Sunday, genuine faith, if I have truly believed in him, then one of the things the Scripture tells us is that I have been gifted. I have the gift of, I have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. That is true of every follower of Jesus Christ, that we have been sealed with, we have within us the Holy Spirit. The Scripture says our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. So the gift of the Spirit has to do with salvation. But if you're reading in the New Testament, you also may come across descriptions of gifts of the Spirit. Gifts of the Spirit. Gifts of the Spirit don't have to do with salvation. They have to do with service. These are things that God works in our lives, that God puts in our lives so that we'll have capacities to serve other people. There's several different parts of the New Testament that describe that. One of them is 1 Corinthians 12. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. God gives every follower of Christ Jesus a a giftedness, a a capacity to serve. There's a wide variety in that. These are the things that, that God gives us to serve him by serving other people. If you have been gifted to serve in a certain way by the Spirit, it's not for you. It is for the common good. There's the gift of the Spirit where we're sealed with the Spirit at salvation. There are gifts of the Spirit that have to do with our serving within and outside the body of Christ. And then there's what we're going to be talking about in this series, and that is the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit really is about our character, our character, the characteristics of Christ that God wants to develop in us, that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that God wants to develop and display in our lives. Now, here's the distinction. These characters Character qualities are for everybody. Every one of these character qualities should be developed and displayed through every follower of Jesus Christ. The gifts of the Spirit have wide diversity and wide variety. Nobody has all of the gifts. We have a variety of gifts, and that that directs us in how we best serve God by serving other people. These character qualities are every one of them for everybody. And, And so that's what we're going to be focusing on in this series. And the first one in the list, and perhaps rightly so, because in many ways it's foundational, is love. But love is probably one of the most misunderstood words in all, all, all our vocabulary, isn't it? I mean, we use it to describe so many things. I, I love your outfit. I love the way your hair looks. I, I love this color. I love this ice cream. I love this person. I love that team. I love when you do that. And we, we use love to, to cover such a wide variety of things that, that, that sometimes it becomes uh, almost a, a meaningless word. And so what I'd like to do is to just kind of hone in uh, a little bit on, 
on what it means to love as the New Testament talked about love. But in order to do that, I first kind of have to surface for us some misconceptions about love. There are at least two very popular misconceptions about love that are very prevalent in our culture and even even within those who, who are followers of Jesus Christ very often. The first popular misconception goes like this. Love is primarily a feeling. Love is primarily a feeling. So we talk about uh, the, the feelings of love, and, and, and they're wonderful, and they're great, aren't they? And, and it's exciting and tingly. Gary Chapman uh, wrote about it this way. He said, love is that feeling that you feel when you feel a feeling that you never felt before, right? I mean, it's just like, whoa, right? And, and, and man, those, those, those are great feelings, and you, you, you enjoy those, and you, you, you just I like having those feelings. But if your understanding is that love is primarily a feeling, then you all realize that sometimes that feeling can come and go, right? In fact, it is the righteous brothers told us it can even be gone, right? Right? You remember the song, right? Some of you, right? You've lost that love and feeling, right? Oh, that love and feeling. Come on now. You've lost that love and feeling. Now it's gone, gone, gone. Whoa. Right? I mean, whoa, that's bad, right? Bad. Yeah, thank you. Pity, pity. That's right. I understand. Some of you won't hear another thing I said in the rest of the message after that, right? It's gone. I had the feeling, and now it's gone, 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 right? Listen, love is often accompanied by and produces powerful feelings. But love is much, 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 much more than just a feeling. The popular misconception is love is just a feeling. And kind of the partner misconception with that, if love is primarily a feeling, then love is uncontrollable. Love is uncontrollable. And so we talk about, well, our language is, well, I fell in love. It's it's kind of like I was just walking along, minding my own business, and one day I fell in love. Just poop there, you know, I fell in love. And, of course, then the reverse of that is uh, years later someone will say, well, I don't know what happened. We just fell out of love. And it's almost like we, we didn't have any control over it. You know, we just fell into it. We fell out of it. And it just comes, it goes. And, and we didn't have any control of it along the way. And yet when you come to the New Testament, you see that Jesus commands love. He commands that we love one another. Jesus doesn't command feelings. Jesus doesn't command something that his spirit won't enable us to be able to do. And so therefore, we have to challenge those misconceptions with two powerful correctives. The first corrective is this, love is a choice. Love is a choice. Yes, there are powerful feelings, but but love day in and day out is a choice. To the Colossians, Paul said, above all these, put on love. This is something you can choose to put on. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You can choose to put 
on love. And if you can choose it, then love is therefore controllable. It is something that God will enable you to exercise control over because it's a choice that you can make. Love is a choice is the first corrective. The second is love is something we do. It is an action. So John, this uh, beloved uh, disciple of Jesus, said, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Now, now we'll talk later. Words are powerful, and that's one of the expressions of love, uh, but love is something we do. It's a deed. It is done. It, it, action. It, it's truth. That's why it's possible for us to express love to someone we don't particularly like. Yeah. And in fact, as we'll see in just a moment, Jesus actually commands you to love your enemies. Now, if love's a feeling, that's never going to happen. If love's uncontrollable, that's never going to happen. But because love is a choice and because love is something we do, it's an action, we can express love even to someone that we don't particularly like along the way. You know, sometimes children observe things and pick up things that, that kind of cut to the heart of the matter. There were some psychologists that were, were, were asking a group of children about love and, and kind of of they, what they had seen modeled for love. And, I, and there's tons of these. I'll just give you three. I think these, are, these maybe are insightful. One little girl, Rebecca, age eight. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. That's not bad, Rebecca. That's not bad. Chrissy, age six. Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. <laughs> All right? Sometimes you don't feel like giving up your french fries, right? But you choose to do it. Let me give you just one more. Danny, age seven. Love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy. She takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure it tastes Okay. It's a choice. It's an action. It's something we do. It's something that we do. And because of that, we can take some steps, some steps to, toward becoming a more loving person. And whatever the arena of your life, whatever the relationships of your life that you may be thinking of, uh, Pat was talking about family. That's certainly one of the first contexts of that, but it, but it expands to all different sorts of relationships in our life. How can we cooperate with God as he seeks to develop and display this character quality of love in our lives? It begins, I think, foundationally with experience experiencing God's love. That is the foundation to me becoming a more loving person is to experience God's love for me. John said, we love because he first loved us. The, the reason that I love, the, the capacity that I have to love is directly tied into the fact that I have experienced his love. His love when I didn't deserve it, when I was unloving, when, when I, I was like even an enemy at times, the, the, the New Testament says that God fixed his love upon me.
me. There is something foundational to being a more loving person, and that is experiencing God's love for me. To the Ephesians, Paul said, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That there is something powerful uh, once we we find ourselves uh, rooted and grounded in that love, when we begin to comprehend more and more the the greatness and the vastness of God's love for me, when I allow my mind to meditate upon God's love for me, as I begin to experience more and more of God's love for me, it increases my capacity to love the people that God brings into my life. See, what I have discovered is what many of you have discovered, and that is unloved people are often unloving people. Unloved people are often unloving people. Some of you have some challenges in becoming a more loving person because you didn't maybe experience some love along the way. Maybe it was absent or wasn't expressed well in the home you grew up in. Maybe, maybe there have been some relationships in your life where, where, where love should have been experienced, but uh, you experienced a, a fake love or a love that was labeled love, but it, somebody was using you or uh, whatever it may be. Or maybe you've experienced abuse in what should have been a loving relationship. All those things leave marks. All those things are kind of the baggage we bring. And because of that, sometimes it's a challenge. It's a challenge for us to love. Human love is always flawed. We always disappoint. We always nick each other along the way. That's why we have to, to revel in and stay in and meditate and focus on God's love for us. Because when I experience God's love, then I am empowered. Then I am enabled to love other people even the way that he loved me. The command is to love each other as I have loved you. I have to experience God's love for me to be able to love other people in that way. If I'm going to become a more loving person, I have to experience again and again and again in deeper and deeper ways God's love for me. But I build on that by doing what God did for me, and that is to forgive, to forgive others along the way. One of the characteristics of love is that it forgives, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. That we are, we are called to forgive even as we have been forgiven. We love as we're loved. We forgive as we have been forgiven. Why is this important to becoming a more loving person? Because we cannot give total love when our heart is divided. We can't do it. We cannot give total love when our heart is divided, when I'm harboring unforgiveness in my heart, that part of my heart's not available to love. And, and, and I'm not just talking here about an unforgiveness toward the person directly you're trying to love. Sometimes that's the barrier. I, I'm, I'm harboring bitterness. I'm harboring, harboring unforgiveness toward this person, and it makes it very hard for me to love. I have to, to, to move toward forgiveness. But some of us are carrying around unforgiveness from other relationships 
into all the other relationships of our life. And until we learn to deal with that, until we drain that poison, it will continue to impact our capacity to love. We've taught this principle before. A past that is not processed properly is still impacting the present. A past that is not processed properly is still impacting the present. Some of us are stunted. Some of us struggle in our capacity to love because of something from our past. And it may have nothing to do with the person that we're in this relationship with now. It may have nothing to do with the person in our family, the person we work with, or the person that's in our friendship circle, or whatever it is. It's not directly about us and them, but it is about somebody or something in my past. It's when love was betrayed or love was absent or love Love was twisted or distorted or or whatever it may be. And we carry that with us. And until we release it, until we allow that poison to begin to drain out of our heart, we are not going to be able to love fully and completely. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, for some of you here today, I am convinced that God has you here and he wants to expand your capacity to love. And in order to do that, you're going to have to deal with something from your past. You're going to have to get past your past. And it may be that you're going to need a trusted friend or you're going to need a Christian counselor to help do that. Maybe maybe just some serious time alone with the Lord. But to access whatever resources you need to access, just to say, God, I I I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want this poison continuing to infect the relationships of my life forgive in the way that we have been forgiven. Forgive in the way we've been forgiven. And then think about your thinking. Think about your thoughts. I I think loving thoughts that as I become a more loving person, I I choose where I'm going to focus my thinking. I'm experiencing God's love. I'm, I'm draining some poison of unforgiveness and bitterness from my heart. But then I begin to choose how I'm going to think. Paul wrote to the Philippians, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Loving people don't just think about what's in it for me. Loving people think about how does this impact somebody else? What are their hopes? What are their dreams? What are their, their aspirations? What are their, what are their fears? Loving people choose to focus on others, their needs, their hurts, their problems, their desires, their goal, not just their own. And so one of the ways to to become a more loving person is to think different thoughts, to begin to say, God, help me today not to just think about me. That's my default in my flesh. God, today, help me to think about others. Uh, Why do do parents have that that, that quick bonding with children very often? Because almost immediately we see that little one and we start thinking about their needs, right? I mean, they got to be fed, they got to be bathed, they got to be taken care of, all these. We immediately shift our thoughts to thinking about their needs. That is a powerful part of becoming a more loving person. So as you begin to think about the people in your life, beginning with your family, certainly extending to others along the way, but you begin to say, how can I think about them? Not just how is this impacting me, how is it impacting them? 
Where are they hurting? Where are they hoping? Uh, what are their fears? What are their dreams? How, how, can, I, how can I help? How, how can I help address a need? How can I help uh, further a goal? How can, I, how can I help them to become everything that God wants them to be? And so I begin to think not only about my own interests, but also the interests of others. Loving people think loving thoughts. Loving people go beyond just thinking, though. They act. They act in love. Regardless of whether you're feeling particularly loving at the moment, I choose to act in love. Jesus taught it this way. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Wow. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. That's powerful. Act in love. Notice the action words there. He's not saying you're going to feel as not even like them. It may, may not be that you don't even trust them but I can still act in love. Three action steps in just those verses right there. First is do good. Do good. Do good to those who hate you. Serve them. Help them. Meet their needs. I can choose to act in love. I can choose to do good. I don't have to feel particularly loving to serve. I don't have to feel particularly loving to meet a need. I can choose to do good. If the only time I choose to do good is when I feel like it, it's going to be less and less and less, right? I choose to serve. I choose to do good. He says, bless, a positive word spoken about or to others. I choose my language. I choose my words. I choose to speak that which builds up, that which edifies, that which is blessing, that which is a positive word spoken to someone along the way. I choose how I speak about other people along the way. I choose to bless instead of curse. Uh, sometimes it's easy to get into to a spitting match, isn't it? They hurt me, I'm going to hurt back. They escalated, I'm going to escalate a little more. But the reverse of that is to do good, to bless. And then he says, pray. Pray for God's blessing in their lives. Pray for God to move in their life. Pray for God's best in their life. And, and he, he talked about those who abuse you. Let me, let, let me just make sure I, I'm clear here because I, I don't want to don't have somebody walking away with a, a wrong understanding here. Are there, are, there, are there people who are unsafe? Yes. Yes, there are. There are people that are unsafe. It is one of the manifestations of, of sin in our lives. And there are times where wisdom dictates unsafe people. That may be a physical unsafe, financial unsafe, maybe an emotional unsafe, that, that, that you have a distance, that you have a boundary, that you have some protection in place against them to shield yourself. That is appropriate. But even in that situation, you can still pray. You can still pray for them. You can pray for them without having contact. You can pray for them and still have put an appropriate boundary line in place so that you don't continually experience some of the things that they're dishing out along the way. You can still choose to act in love by praying for God to work in their life, for God to bless them along the way. 
It may be unsafe uh, to be close enough to do good uh, in, a, in an action. Uh, it, it may be unwise to even have a continued dialogue or conversation. But you can continue to pray for them. Act in love. Act in love. I want to take you to 1 Corinthians 13, and when you think about love, you, a lot of us think immediately of this passage, and some of you, uh, many of you have been married, and you, you perhaps had these verses in your wedding ceremony. But I, I want you to listen to them this morning. I want to read verses 4 through 8. I, I want you to listen to them this morning, and think about these words, and think about how many of them are about an action, not about a feeling, Okay? Think about it in that way. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Act in love. You can act in kindness. You can act in patience. You can, uh, you, you, you can act in it without resentment. You can choose not to react with irritability. You can choose to rejoice in the truth instead of rejoicing at the wrong. Act in love. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was imprisoned in a Nazi concentration camp, Teagle Prison, cell 92. He wrote many letters, even sermons from there. One of the sermons he was writing was for the wedding of his niece and a friend of his who were getting married. He never got to deliver that sermon, so he was killed. But it, the manuscript survived, and it has been a blessing and a challenge uh, to many young couples along the way. Here's one sentence out of that message. Today you are young and very much in love, and you think that your love will sustain your marriage. It won't. But your marriage can sustain your love. What was he saying? He was saying you can choose in this marriage you're entering into to act in love, even when you don't feel loving. If you depend on your love to make sustain your marriage you think love primarily is a feeling it won't last but if you say I'm going to choose to act in love then your marriage will sustain your love loving people experience God's love they drain the unforgiveness and bitterness out they think they think loving thoughts they think about the needs and the hopes and dreams of another and out of that they take action they act in love they do good they bless they pray and then they expect they expect the best they expect the best in others did you catch that when we read that in verse 7 a love bears all things it believes all things uh, love it love is contagious 
It really does have a power to change people. Love is transformative. When you experience God's love, it begins to transform your understanding of yourself, your understanding of your place in the world, your understanding of how you relate to God and how you relate to others. Love can transform. Your love can have a powerful transformative effect in the lives of other people. Someone said, treat people the way you want them to become. Sometimes we, we, we treat them in light of the, 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 their worst day or, or their biggest mistake. But love, love believes. Love believes in the image of God still within them. Love believes that God's not finished with them yet. Love believes in that man or that woman that they can become as they, they align themselves more and more with God's purposes and ways and will. And love treats them that way. Love treats people the way that they can become. And listen, aren't you glad that's the way that Jesus treated you? I mean, think about it. If Jesus just treated us the way we were, he would have never come. Right? He'd have never come. But he saw who we were created to be, who we could become in the center of God's love. And so he came and lived that life that, that, that we were called to live and died the death that we deserved to die. Why? Because he loved us. And in that love, he saw, he saw who we were created to be and who we could become as we were reunited and reconnected with God the Father. Treat people the way you want them to become because when we expect the best, we often bring out the best in others. When, when people are genuinely loved, it calls forth God's best in their life. And, and so love expects the best. God has that expectation of what he wants to do in and through our lives. He, as we love others, it, it, it calls out, it draws out God's best in their life. Treat them as they can be in Jesus Christ. Expect the best. Well, maybe you're here today, though, and as you think about this whole topic of love, maybe you're thinking about, I, I hear what you're saying, but man, it's gone, gone, gone. In fact, it's, it's dead. You know, we just came off of Easter, and Easter's about resurrection, right? And what, what you will find is that it is possible to resurrect a dying love. To resurrect a dying love. Now, actually, the New Testament gives us some guidance in this. It's tucked away in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. It's actually uh, the, the, the risen Christ speaking to a church speaking to a church that has drifted away from its first love. But I think its application is much broader than that, and it speaks to us individually about uh, kind of a pathway to resurrect a dying love as we live in God's love. Here's the scripture, Revelation 2. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. 
Here's a church that has, has drifted away from that love, and maybe it, maybe it looks like it's gone, 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 and never to be found, never to be resurrected again. And, and maybe you're in a relationship right now where you, you feel like that love is gone, 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 and it can't be resurrected. But here, here is the reminder that, that in Christ Jesus, all things are possible, and it is possible to resurrect a dying love. And in that, he gives us kind of three steps, three things that help resurrect. The first is to remember, to remember, to remember God's love for you, to remember the way that God has loved you. Remember how God has forgiven you. Remember the capacity and, and power that you have to love. And sometimes it may be even just saying, God, I can't love them today in my strength. I need you to love them through me. And we all have some of those EGR people in our life, extra grace required, right? We have those people and it's just, God, I need you to love me. So I remember, I remember God's love. I remember the capacity. Maybe you remember the, the love that you once had for them, the, the ways that you used to walk and relate and talk and pray for them. And then he says to repent, to repent. If there's a dying love, then, then it's probably evidence of the fact that, that you haven't acted in love. And, and I, I'm, not, I'm not saying they haven't done a lot to, in a sense, deserve it. But what I'm saying is I have to go back and say, oh, God, here are the thoughts I've been thinking. I turn from those. Here are the things I've been saying. I turn from those. God, here are the things that I've been doing, or here are the things I've not been doing. I'm turning from those. I'm repenting of those, and God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think differently. I'm going to speak differently. Maybe I'm going to speak to them instead of giving them the cold shoulder, right? Uh, God, I, I'm going I'm to pray for them, and not, not a prayer of cursing, but I'm going I'm to pray for your best. And so I, I repent, and that leads to the third word, redo. Redo. Do again those things that you did. God, I used to act in love. I used to speak this way. I used to pray this way. And so in repentance, I'm turning. I'm turning from those things that have not been channels and conduits of your love. And I'm beginning to redo again those things that are communicators of your love. Not because I feel more loving. Because that love feels like it's gone, gone, gone but because I trust that your love through me can resurrect even a dying love. You know, in John's gospel, John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus said the distinguishing mark, the distinguishing mark of a follower of his would be the way that we love. By the way that we love one another, the world would see something distinctive about the way that followers of Christ loved one another. We talk around here about unleashing a movement, unleashing a movement of Christ-centered, spirit-empowered world changers. Christ-centered, spirit-empowered world changers are going to be men and women of love, men and women who love with a different kind of love, men and women who love not just when they feel like it, because they, but because they have been loved with an out-of-this-world supernatural love from God. What does that look like? Well, sometimes it looks like a bus driver and a metro bus in San Francisco. Great little story. It was recorded in the San Francisco Chronicle, front page, interestingly enough, about a metro transit operator named Linda Wilson Allen. 
She loves the people who rides her bus. She learns their names, waits for them if they're late, makes up time later on her route. Couple of examples. A woman in her 80s named Ivy had some heavy grocery bags and was struggling with them. So Linda gets out of her bus driver's seat to carry Ivy's grocery bags onto the bus. Now Ivy lets other buses pass her stop so she can ride on Linda's bus. Linda saw a woman named Tanya in a bus shelter. She could tell Tanya was new to the area. She was lost. It was almost Thanksgiving, so Linda said to Tanya, You're out here all by yourself. You don't know anybody. Come on over for Thanksgiving and kick it with me and the kids. (laughs) Now they're friends. Linda has built such a little community of blessing on that bus that passengers offer Linda the use of their vacation homes. They bring her potted plants and floral bouquets. When people found out she likes to wear scarves to accessorize her uniforms, they started giving them as presents to Linda. Now now think about it. Think about what a thankless task driving a bus can look like in our world today. Cranky passengers, engine breakdowns, traffic jams, trash in the seats. You might ask yourself, how does she do that? How does she have that kind of attitude? Here's the article in the San Francisco Chronicle. Her mood is set at 2.30 a.m., when she gets down on her knees to pray for 30 minutes, the Chronicle states. There's a lot to talk about with the Lord, says Wilson Allen, a member of Glad Tidings Church in Hayward. When she gets to the end of her line, she always says, that's all, I love you, take care. Have you ever had a bus driver tell you, I love you? People wonder, where can I find the kingdom of God? I'll tell you where. You can find it on the number 45 bus riding through San Francisco. People wonder, where can I find the church? I'll tell you, behind the wheel of a metro transit vehicle. It's an old hymn. Sang it in the first service. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. By our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. We want to unleash a movement of Christ-centered, spirit-empowered world changers. We're going to have to unleash men and women of love who have experienced God's love and revel in it, who have drained the bitterness and unforgiveness from their heart, who have chosen to think about the needs of others and not just their own agenda. Men and women who choose to act in love, do good, bless, pray. Men and women who expect and draw out the best in other people. Men and women who don't give up on a dying love, but remember and repent and redo and watch God resurrect a dying love. That's the kind of character that Christ wants to develop and display through us. Let's pray to him together, please. Oh, Father, thank you, thank you for your love. Oh, my goodness. 
gosh, uh, uh, Lord, uh, an overwhelming love, a love that is uh, so hard to, to appreciate and understand and fully grasp. And Father, thank you for loving us more than we ever earned or deserved. In fact, as we earned and deserved the exact opposite, Father, thank you for that radical love that, that sent Jesus Christ to come and, and live for us and die for us. Thank you for that love. And Lord, I pray today, I pray for every person that will walk in and out of this room this morning. Father, I pray that every person would experience your love, that they would experience the, the forgiveness, the love, the acceptance, the adoption into your forever family. Lord, let today be the day of repentance and faith and trust in you. Draw them into your love. And Father, as you draw us into your love, God, I'm just going to ask, Father, would you just would you just display your love through us? God, would you empower us to love in a way that's just supernatural, a way that is beyond uh, the normal, a way that shouts to the world, there's something different about that man or that woman. They belong to Jesus. And I'm just going to ask you now just to spend a few moments sitting before the Lord and as you do, we have a box in your note-taking guide that invites you to make it personal. And I really do want to invite you to make this personal today. And as I say week by week, I hope you'll spend a few minutes with it on Sunday morning, but I hope you'll keep that close even throughout the week. And maybe in just some quiet moments with the Lord, you just reflect on some of these questions. But this morning is a way of responding to him i'm going to ask you just to scan those questions and maybe there's one that will grab your attention immediately this morning and if so stay right there and maybe just to write out a word a sentence a phrase something that you sense god's calling you to do maybe maybe today god's just bringing to your 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 mind a name a name of somebody that needs to be loved with a supernatural love maybe he's asking you to deal with some issue of unforgiveness just to drain that out. And your next step is to get some help to do that. What is it that will make this love much more personal for you? How will you personally develop and display the love of God this week? One of the ways you can respond to God is...